everybody. You look pretty good for people who look like you look. Oh, that was not nice, was it? Not nice. Yeah, it was kind of cold. No, I'm just kidding. You actually look pretty good. I'm just, uh, I haven't looked up yet, so I don't want to lie. Just kidding. Miss Barb, can you hear me? Where's Barb? Okay. Yes, we're good? I got you on? We're good. All right. So good. Today I get to do something I love to do. Um, I love to talk about leadership. I love to talk about the biblical approach to leadership. I do approach to leadership differently than um, others. Uh, I'm not trying to build a mega church. Um, uh, my heart is a whole lot of churches, not just one really big one. So I approach leadership from that angle, raising up people to um, stand up and, and lead and love on other people. And so that's my heart. Uh, it's a lot slower process than I envisioned many years ago, but hey, it's all right. God gave me a, a lifetime to do this, and uh, I'm glad I have a reason to wake up every day to serve my father and his flock. So, so uh, we're in Wyoming, and uh, you're right? You guys in Wyoming? Just, uh, just, just checking. Just want to see. In this room, there are a lot of you that God is already working in your life to step up and help other people. And um, I know in Wyoming, we kind of have a different approach to things sometimes. We, we, we don't like, we're kind of loners. Are you a loner? It's, it's okay. Sit there quiet and look guilty. It's okay. <laughs> Just kind of a loner. Cowboy up. <clears throat> the Bible says in Ecclesiastes, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three or even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Alone isn't awful. Sometimes alone is what you have to do. One of the reasons we should gather on Sundays is to equip and strengthen and build up each other so that when we go into places where we do have to stand alone, we're better able to do that, and then we can break that down when we come back together, and we can help each other, okay? So alone isn't terrible, but alone is limited. And in the state of Wyoming, and uh, I don't know, when I first moved here, Don Whalen, a friend of mine, talked to me and he said, listen, as soon as people come to Wyoming, as soon as they see the Wyoming sign, they are infected with fierce independence. <laughs> and I said to him, who, who do you think you're talking to here, man? <laughs> and, um, but anyway, the problem with that independence, and um, I, I was at a a leadership gathering in Casper the last couple of days and God really ministered to myself and my amazing wife and um, the guy that was one of the men who was sharing was from England and his comment on America was America is strongly independent but in Europe we've better learned to be corporate that was a very interesting thought process I wrote it down prayed on it most of the night and as I get into this concept of leadership, I need you to understand a couple things. And, and you can agree or disagree. That's always something you can choose to do. But my, my belief is, is this, that the reason we have weak churches in our state and weak partnerships and as a whole a rather weak Christian influence is because we don't work together well. Because if you have more than one person, somebody's going to be the leader. That's just the case. I mean, you can argue with me. You can sit there and resist. and It's cool. You're just wrong. 
Not trying to be offensive, just straight. I mean, if there's, if there's two, somebody is leading the other person. And so we have a lot to do in our state. And in my heart, the whole Rocky Mountain region. We have a lot to accomplish. And it's, it's more than I can do for sure. I can't do much, really. It's, it's more than we can do. It's more than every church that believes God's word and, and shares the gospel of grace by faith. It's more than all of us together can do. We need every believer to step up to the plate and bring God's love and God's power and God encounters to our state. Do you agree? Amen. That's what we need. And I'm not going to waste time. I was going to take time and go over statistics, but statistics bore me, so I don't want to bore you. So, John Maxwell, one of my favorite leadership teachers, says this. He says, everything rises and falls on leadership. So today, I'm not talking about going to church more. Some of you do need to go to church more, but that's not what I'm talking about, okay? <clears throat> this isn't about being nice and keeping the peace. It's never Never about being nice and keeping the peace. It might be about being kind and loving people, but never nice and keeping the peace. This isn't about reading your Bible or even sharing the gospel, although those things are important. Um, this is about Christ following men, women, and children. How many of you know there's not a junior Holy Ghost? Right? God and you is the same God in your child if they trust Christ, Right? So we gotta, we got to realize that this is about men, women, and children pursuing Jesus Christ and evading, invading this community with God's goodness and God encounters. That's what this, is, this is what we're talking about today. So, <clears throat> what's that going to look like? Sure, I love church. I love what the church does. I love the church because God shows up in church-type settings. You get me with a group of people or a prayer group or you come together and worship, and I love God encounters. But I've seen him in a lot smaller settings, and I've experienced God encounters by myself. So I think church is really, 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 really important, but that's not all I'm talking about. In fact, I have this theory, whether it's popular or not, whether even it's right or not, I don't know, but I really believe that America kind of treats work more like church than anything anymore. And so I really see a big part of the church's future of going back to work, going back into business and into the marketplace. So when I talk about uh, reaching out, I'm not just talking churches. I, I may be talking discipleship groups in workplaces. I may be talking businesses that are actually built on Christian values that create jobs and revenue for a community. I think that's an important thing. We need Christian business leaders. I think it's participating in, and I hate this one, and influencing government. I think we need to be there. We need good, godly, God-encountering people in government, serving on city councils, on, on Congress, and different places like that. We need that kind of thing to happen. We also need to step up and we need to help our families and our communities to be stable. We're running up on four or five generations of unstable families now. So many adults close to my age have, did not experience a stable home life. And we need to do what we can to address that and bring God encounters into the family. To make the family emotionally viable and stable, financially viable and stable. The church talking about money, I know that everyone hates it when we do that. But we're the only ones who know how it should be done. And I don't mean to be rude, but it's simply because God has principles in place that work. By the way, they work whether you're a Christian or not, whether you believe them or not. They still work. And so we, we need to step into that. And we also need to take care of some people. 
We have elderly, we have homeless, we have those who are not mentally capable, we have orphans, we have widows, we have people who cannot take care of themselves in our society. We've made it a job of government. It should have always been the job of the church. Should have been. So yeah, those are big dreams. When I sit around and think about the stuff that I dream about, that God dreams about in our town, I get totally overwhelmed. I'm like, God, there's no way to accomplish all of this. But then God says to me, oh yeah, there's a way. Because he says, I don't have just you, Michael. I got thousands of people all over this town. And so he said, and I think it was Luke 10, 32, he said, pray the, the Lord of the harvest to thrust out laborers into his field. And so today is really that kind of a talk. It's about you and me, all of us stepping up and doing what we're called to do, what we're gifted to do, what we have the faith to do, what we have the energy to do. Now I want to make a, a, a caveat, a, a, a disclaimer. Number one priority after God himself is your family. I've been in ministry long enough, and I've seen so many ministers' families bite the dust. And I won't stand for it. And I love you with all my heart, but my wife and kids come first. And I want that to be that way for you, too. Okay? All right, so we need people to step up, and we need people to learn to lead. And so that's what we're talking about today, a biblical view of leadership. And leadership is something that's learned. One thing I've noticed in America is as soon as something, someone decides to do something, they think they're an expert at it. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> Have you noticed that? Like you, you give someone a promotion at work and they're like, they know, they're now, they cannot be taught. They know everything. <laughs> I'm like, what is happening here? And it's really funny because in the business world, and so some today I'm going to overlap a little bit between business and church because um, I think Christians are needed in both, okay, not just one. I think the church needs to stop hiding behind a stained glass and go make a difference. So, uh, but about 60%, that means if you start a new business, you've got a coin toss, a little worse than a coin toss chance of making that thing work, okay? So about 60% of them fail in the first five years. Four out of five new churches fail. Four out of five. One out of ten never make a hundred people. Why? Because we need to learn God's way of doing things. We need mentors in our life. We need spiritual parents, elders to help us along. And most of us don't have that. If we were honest right now, if I were to ask you, who is like a spiritual parent to you? Now, don't get lost in the theology here. God is your father. I'm not trying to give you a new father. I'm just saying, who is like a spiritual parent to you to help you grow in your faith, to help you grow as a Christian business person or as a Christian employee or in the Christ, as a Christian in the corporate world? Who is there to, to help you show the way? Who is your, um, what was Paul's, Barnabas? That guy that helped Paul out. <laughs> I love it when I brain cramp. It's so awesome. Anyway, yeah, Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas went and got Paul. Oh, my gosh. Sorry. I got to go back to Sunday school. I'll be back in a minute. So let's get into what the Bible says about leading. And this is going to flip your paradigm upside down. This is not how the world does it. John 13, 13. Jesus you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. 
For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. We lead by three things I'm going to hit on today. There are many others. But the first thing and most important is we lead by serving. This is how Jesus demonstrated that it was to be done. Now, I love this story. It's one of my favorites. But they're all my favorite. Pretty much any story from Genesis to Revelation, that's my favorite, okay? Some of them are pretty weird. I love it when J.L. nails Cicero's head to the floor. That one's pretty cool, but you have to look that one up on your own. So <clears throat> there are, <clears throat> I love this story because I love the way it starts. It starts with Jesus, John 13 through uh, 18 is one night in the life of Jesus. So it's really in-depth. And I love how Jesus in John 13, he's, it's, he's at the, the table in the upper room, you know, all the disciples and him are on one side for the picture. No, I'm just kidding. That's not how that worked. <laughs> and he's looking at the boys. And there are 12 of them. And one of them's a traitor. One of them's about to cause him a whole lot of pain, and he already knows. Another one of them is going to deny that he ever met him, that he ever knew him in just a few hours. And all of them are going to leave him. In just a short little bit. And he's looking at them, and the Bible tells us that he, he loved them. Now all week long, he had been taking them up onto the Mount of Olives, and they've been praying at night. They've been sleeping in Bethany and getting up early the next morning and going to the temple. It's Passover week, and they are ministering hard all week long, sharing the story of Jesus. He's, he's teaching. He's stirring up things. He cleans, cleans the temple, flipped tables over and threw a fit. Everyone is riled up because of Jesus. Because Jesus the whole time is pointing at his Father and says, hey, who, you see me, you see what I do, this is what my Father's like. And everyone's freaking out. But this final night comes along, and the Bible says in John 13, 1, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew, listen to this, this is so good, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. That's the preface of the scene. Have you ever looked at someone and just kind of staggered for a minute at how much you love them? Look at your annoying child and go, man, you're annoying. But I love you so much, it hurts. Your spouse, just love them. You were, and here's Jesus looking at the 12 guys. One's about to betray him. One's about to deny him. All of them are about to leave, and he loves them. He knows all this is going to happen, and he just loves them. And so what does he do? Jesus was the master at presenting the test and then the lesson. He says nothing. He just stands up, and he grabs a basin, and he grabs a towel, he wraps a towel around himself, and for a moment you look at him, and he looks like any common household slave in Jerusalem. King of kings, Lord of lords, about to pay the eternal price for all mankind's sin, the only beloved of God up at that point. And he looks like a common household slave. And he just begins to wash feet. 
a household slave's job, not a master's job, not a leader's job, not in their world and not in ours. You would never have seen a Jewish rabbi in that day and age put on the garments of a slave and wash his disciples' sleep. That feet, that would never, never in a million years would that happen. And that's exactly what Jesus does. He gets up, and why does he do this? Because he loved them every day, every stupid day, every awesome day, every day they passed the quiz, every day they flunked the quiz, every day he loved them. And now he stands and looks at this room of men, the betrayer, the denier, and all the leavers, and he says, I love you guys so much. And his answer for love them is I'm going to take the position of a slave and I'm going to wash their feet I am going to take care of them in the simplest most demonstrative way so they can see how I lead how I set an example leadership is serving and serving is humility Peter taught it to us this way. And by the way, this is the same Peter that when Jesus got to his feet, he blew his cork. So you can't wash my feet. Rabbis don't do feet. But Peter learned. Uh, all of you, dress yourselves in humility. Do you hear the verbiage? Dress yourselves in humility. What's he thinking of? Can you see him seeing this scene? Because he was there. Jesus burned it in his brain. In fact, both of Peter's letters are, are Jesus' moments burned in his brain his whole life. They're filled with images from his life with Jesus. And in this moment, he says, clothe yourselves in humility, and he's thinking of Jesus, as you relate to one another, for God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, He will lift you up in honor. Leading is serving. Serving is humility. Humility becomes influence. And that's what leadership is. Leadership isn't the boss. It isn't position. It is influence over people's lives. Does that make sense? So we, we lead by serving and that means we get low, and that's humility. But we also get messy. We're talking about cleaning feet here. And I'll be honest with you, I have never performed a foot washing, nor have I ever allowed one performed, because I have really ticklish feet. <laughs> and I don't trust anybody. <laughs> I have trust issues. And as I was thinking of these, this scene and 12 disciples, and if my math is correct, and I'm a preacher, so you can't really trust preacher math, that's 24 dusty feet. And there's my Lord and Savior taking a knee at each person's place and washing 24 dusty, muddy feet. Peter popped his cork. Judas, I don't know if this pushed Judas over the edge or what. It might have. I mean, he had already decided to betray Christ. Jesus already knew it. But here's Judas looking at the guy he wants to be king of the world, washing his feet. That did not fit Judas' paradigm. And guys, Jesus is never going to fit your paradigm. The question of whether or not you follow him always rests in, am I willing to follow Jesus and what he is, or am I only going to follow a God of my own making? That's really kind of whether or not you're saved or not right there, isn't it? And so, 
We see Jesus do these things, demonstrating these things, teaching us out of Luke 22. He says, among you it will be different. Those who are greatest among you shall take the lowest rank, and the leader shall be like a servant. When we started Ordinary Faith, we're not sure when that actually happened, but somewhere in there it happened. You know, we, we were actually happening. But we used to say this all the time, and we still say it. Church is messy. If The only time church stops being messy is when you stop reaching people. Right? How many of you guys have little kids? Just, give, just pop it up. Look ashamed if you want to, but then you have little kids, okay? <laughs> is their room messy a lot? Yeah. Guess what? When your nest is empty, their room won't be messy anymore. And you'll be sad. You'll miss the mess. Because new life means messy. Get it? How many of you guys are in business? Okay? You can just look at me, look honest. Okay? You're in business. In business or in the corporate world, it's messy, right? Especially if your business is growing. It always was for me. I always ended up in jobs where I was the guy that had to figure out the systems and how we were going to make it work. And so you have all these new growth things happening, and the more your business is growing, the messier it is. New life is messy. You hear me? When it stops being messy, you know what has happened? You've stopped growing. You've stopped reaching new life. If your business stops being messy, you've hit a point of decline, and it will be five to ten years before you realize it. Okay? Messy is how this thing works. And church has to be messy because we're reaching people. And when we reach people, it, we, there are things in their life they don't know how to deal with and we don't know how to deal with. And it isn't about being an expert. As soon as the church learns it doesn't have to be an expert anymore, we're going to be in a way better place. We've got to stop giving advice. This has been my lesson from the Holy Spirit this year. You, you, you're never right, Michael. I am. Jesus is the expert. You know that, right? He knows how to do everything. And he knows how to fix people. I said a couple weeks ago that our job isn't to fix people. It might be our calling to minister to people, to wash their feet. But we don't fix people. Jesus, that's Jesus' job. Our job is to serve. Our job is to call out the golden people, to call people up to what God has in their life, to, to help them discover their gifts and to equip them in those gifts, to help them find a place where they can use them for God's glory. Those are all of our jobs. But fixing people, that's not our job. We may have a chance to speak in their life, but that's not our job. So it's messy. Do you know what it takes to get through messy? You're going to love this word. You might want to write it down. Patience. Sign me up. I love it. I've had several people over the last few years. This didn't used to happen until the last few years. I prayed for patience. And I'm like, you don't even have to worry about that one. I mean, really, that's the one you don't have to pray for. It's coming, okay? God, that is like the 101 freshman year class. You're going to go through patience many, many years. And so uh, you, you don't have to pray for it. But... And by the way, God doesn't just zap you with patience, and that's probably what we're praying for. God zap me with patience. No, no. God gives you opportunities to practice being patient, right? So when you pray for patience, what you're really saying is, oh, Jesus, make me suffer. <laughs> so we lead by serving. Serving is low. It's humi- it's, it leads us in humility. It, it is messy, and it's going to take patience to get through this kind of thing. <sighs> And then I, I said this earlier, there are 24 feet. That's a lot of feet to wash. Would you agree? I mean, I can't, I'm serious, I can't see myself even doing it. 
And I need to, I know, but I'm just, it's just one of those things. I, this, this story, I think one of the reasons it's so powerful for me is because I struggle so much with it. Twelve sets of feet, Jesus washes. Wouldn't two or three been enough? Really? I mean, if you'd just done Jesus, Judas to show how loving and good Father is, and if you'd have just done Peter so we could get Peter's explosion out of the way, I mean, because we all need Peter to explode, don't we? We kind of... We kind of need that. We, we all need to see Peter in our life. But he did 24 feet. Paul said in Romans 12, if God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have the gift of showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Don't, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Man, Paul broke it down, didn't he? Sometimes we look at leadership and maybe it intimidates us. We're afraid of being, not being a success, not doing a good job with it. And I, wanna, I want you to kind of flip that around. First of all, I want you to know that who we are leading in this context, and actually in any context, I've, I was with a businessman this weekend who was just interested in God running his business, and he was looking at leadership as a businessman. And so his business he saw as his church, and I'm telling you, that's what I want to see. That's what I'm all about, okay? That's what needs to happen in our world today. He was ministering and serving his staff. So I, the, he's my hero. But I, what I, one thing I did see this weekend that really helped me was this. These sheep, the Bible calls us sheep. Now, if you know much about sheep, you know that's not a compliment. Okay? <laughs> I'm just a little lamb. Uh, I think what God's really saying is you're a pain in the rear, but <laughs> sheep are not fun. Anyway, we're sheep, but we're the apple of God's eye. Do you know how much God loves this body? Everybody in town, every church in town, do you have any idea how much God's heart is for them? I know there are people in the body of Christ that we don't gel with, we don't like, they don't, we don't connect with. I get all that. Believe me, I get it more than you do, I'm pretty sure. All right? That ain't why we're here. That's not what leadership's about. The leadership... Being a leader in this flock is about helping people become all that Christ has for them in this life. It's not about finding the dirt in their life. It's easy to find dirt. And then if I went to any of your houses today, would I miss, is there anyone here who could say I have no dirt in my house? And no one's going to do it out of shame now because I totally set you up. But still, no. But you know what? I, I don't go to houses, especially my own, looking for dirt. I, I, like, I like to find the the wonderful things, the things that give an insight into the person's home and into their life. I, I like to see the family pictures. And we, up until recently, we had a family history on our wall of, it was the goofiest looking family you ever saw, all the way back to when I was 17 and she was 19 and this, this whole mess got started. It was just, just something, but it would tell you so much about us. And so, this is God's flock. He loves this flock. We're not here, again, like I said, to fix it, but we're here to minister to it, to, to help call it up. 
You know what success is in the kingdom? And I think it can be this way in business. I think it could be this way in, in uh, community leadership. I think success is not quitting. 24 feet, guys. Do you have any idea how awkward that would have been? Everyone's waiting for Jesus to get to them, and then they're waiting for Jesus to get to the end. And if anybody, if you know me at all, you know I am so time conscious, it's ridiculous. I would have been like, come on, you got to hurry up, got to move this thing. <laughs> awkward. Maybe when God calls you to lead, he's just calling you to serve out of love consistently. Consistently. You know how you raised healthy, well-adjusted children? Consistently. Yeah. On their good days and their bad days, you're still their parent. Some days you're louder than others, but nonetheless, you're still their parent. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. Now that's Jesus. That's not Michael. That's Jesus. You see, <clears throat> we lead by serving, but we also lead by suffering. And this is why most people won't pick it up. What does that mean? What does it mean that we lead by suffering? Well, there's a cost involved in leading. One thing is time. It takes time to learn how to love people, to understand people. It takes time to be in God's word, hearing what he has to say for people. It just takes time to lead. In our family, it's meant shortened camping trips. It meant a wedding one year on our anniversary. That didn't go over real well. Um, there, uh, it, it meant, sometimes it means conversations forever, trying to find out what the real issue is. Sometimes it, it's, it's that ever watchful, prayerful eye trying to understand what God's heart is for a person or for a child or for an employee. Um, and, and, it's, and it's tons and tons of prayer. Prayer. And, and the one thing that could take out the church, I think, is her unwillingness to actually pray. Because what needs to happen in our world is so much bigger than we can do. And, and as, as Wyomingites, as that independent, we really want to know what we can do. And it really sets us at a disadvantage when you have some guy like me stand up before you and say, you can't do anything. Christ has done it all. And God can do the impossible. And so what does that mean for us? Well, it means we learn to pray. We pray. Do you pray for your children? You, you, yes, you do, even if you don't mean to. Even if you're just praying that they don't ruin your life, you're praying for your children, right? They started school this week. Do you pray for them? Pray that God protect them from influences? Why? Because there is, the spiritual realm is just as real as the natural one, guys. And so when you pray, you're walking into the heavenlies dealing with the real problems and the root issues rather than trying to do stuff that doesn't have much impact. So you pray. You pray for protecting them. You, sometimes you pray to hold people's lives together for a while. Sometimes we all hit points where we're falling apart, don't we? And that's where we can pray and have God hold us together. We pray. We pray for the brokenness. We pray for the broken relationships. We pray for the wounded. And no one leads or loves in a vacuum. 
We are leading and loving as Christians in this world on a battlefield, and that is something we need to wrap our hearts around because while we are holding one person together and praying for them, the bullets are still flying. They're still taking wounds. We're taking wounds. Sometimes it's friendly fire. Sometimes it's enemy fire. But this is happening in the midst of a war. And until we begin to understand that we're, we're not walking around in times of actual peace, sure, it looks that way in the natural Less and less so, but it looks pretty peaceful. But it's truly actual chaos. That's why your heart is so stressed. That's why you're so anxious, because there's a war happening all around you, and you refuse to admit it. So if we're going to lead, lead our families, lead our children, our businesses, and our world, we've got to do it in the midst of chaos, in the midst of battle. See, this isn't easy stuff. This is critically important stuff. So yeah, we lead. We lead by suffering. We also lead by suffering not only in our time, but also, and this has been the hardest thing for me, by misunderstanding. You're saying, what? How did that fit in this sermon? I don't get it. Good. I meant to confuse you. It was on purpose. The hardest thing for me in leading churches, businesses, community efforts, nonprofits, is that there are times as a leader that a decision has to be made. It may be right. It may be wrong. It's your decision, and it has to be made. And everybody and their brother, second cousin, thinks you're wrong. And they can't know what you know. They can't see what you got to see. They don't know your relationship with God, and they stand in judgment of it. To me, this is the hardest part of leadership because I, I want to be a people pleaser. I can't be, but I want to be. And so whenever I'm misunderstood, I really want to explain myself. But God taught me a few years ago a lesson that I did not like. He said, Michael, self-defense is not your job. Self-defense is not your job. Now, it was hard, and here's what I've learned, guys, 25-plus years now of leading in all kinds of roles. And here's my lesson. You ready? God's got my reputation. God's got it. I'll be honest with you. If I have a good reputation, I don't deserve it. If you knew the things that I thought, you wouldn't respect me. If you knew the, that old sinner that Jesus Christ had nailed to the cross and is dead and that still tries to creep out of that grave, if you knew that guy, you wouldn't like me. And I wouldn't like you either. Your, your guy isn't any better than mine. But he is nailed to a cross. There's a new life. I'm a saint now. Things have changed for me. But I just, I just want you to see that sometimes we, we've got to uh, let God just handle the reputation, and we've got to do what's right before the Lord. Amen? Dads, you, any dads in the room? Husbands, leading your home? Sometimes you have to do what's right before God. Right? You with me? Men? Women? Ladies? Sometimes you have to do what's right for your family before God. That's got to be your priority, right? Doesn't matter if the Joneses who you're competing with, which you shouldn't be, understand. Does it? Hey, why don't you claim a little freedom from Jesus right now? Stop working for the Joneses. Stop working for everybody else in the world and pursue Jesus Christ. 
you're going to find freedom. Say amen. amen. Even if you don't understand, it's okay. I believe that God will help you understand. Now, that was kind of the dark part of this thing. So we went through the serving. No one really likes that humility thing. Get it? The suffering. Nope, no thanks. Not interested at all. I'm an American. We don't suffer. We eat. <laughs> Why? In, in the name of the Lord, would you do this? Right? So let me give you three scriptures. John, Matthew 6.33. <clears throat> one clock says I have an hour, and one clock says I have an hour and five minutes. So I'm just kidding. That was a setup. Anyway, Matthew 6.33 says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Seek God's kingdom first. Say amen. amen. All right? Oh, Jeremiah 29.13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Are you looking for God? Are you looking for God in this room? Is that why you're here today? To find the divine. So how are you going to do that? You have to seek him. Psalms 27.8. My heart has heard you say. Oh, I love this psalm. My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. This is the Father. Come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I'm coming. Oh, man. That's a, ch that's a child's heart right there. Okay? So leadership is seeking. This is why you do it. To find your father. To get to know who Jesus is. Because when you get to know who Jesus is, you're also learning who your father in heaven is. Because Jesus said, hey, when you see me, you're looking at dad. This is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way to the father. That's what he's telling us. And so this is what we're seeking. Do you know where dad is? I know what you're thinking. He's out, he's on this big throne out in the nowhere. Looking down on us and he's kind of ticked. That's what the average person thinks about God. That is not God at all. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So what you saw Jesus do, that's what the Father does. So what did Jesus do? He went to seek and save all that were lost. Worked the highways and the hedges trying to find those that would come to the marriage feast. You know where the Father is? The Father's out in the harvest. He's out among his people. He's out working in you and, er and others like you throughout this country and this world who are the apple of his eye, who he loves with a love that you will never understand that's beyond anything you could ever grasp. Father is among you. He's in every church in America today, every church in the world every day. He's with his people, loving them, caring for them. His glory, you know what it says this in Psalms? The glory of the Lord fills the earth. It doesn't say the glory of the Lord will fill the earth. It says the glory of the Lord fills the earth. You're like, well, the world doesn't look very glorious. You know why? Because we don't see it. It's seen by faith. You know what you were doing earlier? Pastor Steve was leading music. That's called praise and worship. Do you know what you're doing when you praise God? You are identifying with the glory. When you identify with God's glory, recognize God's glory, praise and worship in his presence, you are actually creating an opportunity for God's glory to manifest in the room or the people that you're with. Did you know that? Isn't that good? So you need to get really serious about praise and worship, but that's not the, the issue of today. Today is we are out here, we want to lead, we want to step into these roles because we want to know our Father. And He's out in the harvest. He's gathering the harvest. So we planted a little garden this year, just two raised beds, because I'm too lazy for anything more than that. I, I'm not going to lie. And uh, 
A couple nights ago, my wife goes out, cuts some lettuce and some, some cherry tomatoes. We got some tomatoes, but they're not ready yet. They're still green. We're, we don't really like green tomatoes, so, you know, uh, there was something. Oh, squash. She walked in the door. She was like a kid at a candy store. She went and cut food out of the backyard for us to eat for dinner, and it was like she had gone to some nice store. It was just crazy. I'm like, what is wrong with this woman? And I realized the joy of the harvest. It's the joy of the harvest. And that's what we're here to do, to harvest. The, the fields are planted. Jesus said they are white. They are ready to harvest. Father is out there. And we're to pray, Father, send out, thrust out, actually, more laborers into this field. Because it's so fun to work alongside the Father. It's so fun to bring in the harvest. Do you know why God wants you involved in mission with him? Because he loves you. He, he, it's not, it's, he's not sent in heaven, if you don't work for me, I'm not going to like you. That is not how this works. <laughs> he likes you because Jesus Christ died on the cross. You're covered in his blood. You're clothed in his righteousness. Jesus Christ lives in you. You are loved. You're liked. You've got nothing else to do for God. He's done it all. And if that idea that you have to keep pleasing God, that puts you in a very a bad place because you can never please God. Our righteousness are as filthy rags. Isaiah 64, you're never going to make God happy in what you do. It's all been done. And Father's out there working the fields. He's happy. He's whistling. He's bringing in the harvest. And he loves you and he wants you alongside him. He wants to use your hands, your feet, harvesting the world. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. Did you see the times in Scripture that Jesus wept? Lazarus' tomb. The one that breaks my heart the most is the days outside the city of Jerusalem. And he just, just I can't quote it exactly, but he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets. How many times I would have just gathered you under my wings like a hen, her chicks, and, and you just wouldn't have it. And he's crying. Many times we see him. One time he, he sees the people, and he's, they're like sheep with no shepherd. And he's just, the Bible says in the King James, he was moved to compassion for them. That, that's, the, that's the Father's heart. Do you struggle loving people? You just need to get in touch with your father, the Father's heart. Because the more you are loved by Father, the more you're going to get Father's love for other people. There are also times Jesus um, celebrated people, too, celebrated faith. The Samaritan woman, the uh, Syrophoenician woman, the, the Roman officer, people who believed Jesus Christ. Now, again, if leading is serving, and that requires humility, and leading is suffering, and that takes time and, and maybe misunderstanding, why would you do it? To find your father. Why find your father? Why love him so much? So I want to give you John 14, 21. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. I'm inviting you into the family business. That's what this is about. That's what kingdom's about. It's about family. You understand that? And I know that some of you are like, I don't even know what family means. That's okay. Because the Word of God says that God brings the orphans into families. So that's not a problem that what you don't know. What, what is a problem is that, is that you don't want to know, or that you are unwilling to step into what you could know. And so I want to challenge you into the family business, because business is good. 
Business is really good. And, and I want to think of that specifically in relationship to this state in which I live and love. 15 years, working on 16, my wife and I have been here now. Um, for 10 years, I, I, I kind of say it this way, for 10 years I feel like we tried everything wrong. Like everything, we, we, we learned how not to do things. You ever do that? You go through a season to learn how not to do it? But God says, the harvest is great, but the workers are few, so pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. The kingdom is calling out leaders. What are leaders? Well, they're servants. Patient servants. To step out and serve God in that harvest. It's not about having all the answers or being an expert. It really isn't. In fact, you'll find out that the experts actually aren't that successful. Most, most experts aren't any more successful than good friends. And so I love how Jesus says to his disciples, hey, I love you guys. You're my friends. And that's what discipleship is, if you ask me. And so I, I want to invite you into this, and I want to give you what Paul said in Acts 20. He says, my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Man, what a mission. So, Wyoming needs you guys. They need us. They need every believer to come together and, and get in the harvest and get involved and step forward. I believe that God is changing the atmosphere. I, I really do. I believe that in the past I've heard people drive through and say, oh, there's a darkness over the city. And now if they were to say that, I'd say, hey, you need to be quiet. We break that off in Jesus' name. We don't want to hear that. Because now all the time God's glory has filled the earth. God's glory has always been here. But man, if there's men and women who stand up, and children who stand up and begin to praise God in this environment, begin to step forward and seek God in that harvest, we're going to begin making a difference. The story isn't over. I see an amazing day. I, I'm seeing amazing things happen around the state. In the last eight months, I've had the glorious opportunity to connect with pastors all over the state. God is opening doors that have never been available to me before, and all of a sudden now they're opening so fast I can't walk through them. And I've, I've met with a pastor at Element Church in Cheyenne over the phone. I met with several pastors yesterday in Casper. I've met with every pastor who will meet with me in town and to, to pull us together, to begin to find what we can do together, <laughs> to find out what they do well so we can support that so we don't have to start what they're doing. <laughs> So we can learn how to really bring this city and Green River and Sweetwater County and the whole state to Christ and really connect it. This, this, is, this is the mission, the goal. And God is raising up hearts all over the state who are like, it's about the kingdom. It's about the kingdom. It's not about my church, your church, the territory, the town. It's about God's kingdom. And I say hallelujah, amen. That's how it should be. So I'm, I'm challenging you. To begin to look at your role in this. Because you have a role. Now get it. you got, you got family responsibilities and so forth. I, I, I encourage those. Because as your pastor, let me just be straight with you. The, the most important thing you can do for the next generation is raise kids for God's glory. Okay? But, what do you have the energy to do? And what do you have the gifting to do? Can't you find something you can do consistently and patiently in the kingdom right now? And then that can expand 
And you can, you can minister and reach and touch larger lives throughout the state, throughout our country, or maybe throughout the world. See, think about this. So today, we get to do something that we don't get to do very often. We're going to install a new couple on our leadership team, Jason and Brandy Peak. You guys want to come up? Leadership team, staff, Michael, Lori, Becky, Steve. So we have a basin and a towel up here that we're giving to them. You have to take this home if I forget to tell you, okay? That's, that's yours, so you remember what this is about. Go, go ahead and stand in the middle. I want to make it as weird as possible. All right. If you guys would gather around them, leadership team in close and you staff in behind. And um, so they've been through about, what, eight months now of suffering? It's been a lot. started in February, um, and there was a process even before that. And um, through that, they've attended uh, meetings. They've been uh, grilled to high heaven, uh, loved on. Family's gotten to be known. Uh, they've been asked to do things in the body that have been a real stretch for them and, and everyone, and, and they've stood up to all of those. And so the leadership team that exists is affirming these guys to step into that role and serve this body. Um, I need to make clear to you how the leadership team sees its job. We are servants. We wash feet. So how this church is led, we don't have votes, we don't have popular opinions or so forth. This team goes and talks to the body to find out what's hurting, what's needed, what God wants to do. Then it goes and talks to God. God, what do you want to do about the hurts or the needs of this body? What can we do? Then we ask God if there's a need that needs to happen. We ask God, God, will you raise up a leader so that can happen? And then when God raises up the leader, and we know that we have the resources to do it well, and with, a, with some measure of excellence, then that's how decisions are made. That's the process. We do things by unity and consensus, and sometimes it takes a bit of a discussion. You might call them fights, but a discussion <laughs> to get there. That's how it's led. Uh, Steve and Michael, we're staff, and myself. Steve, Michael, and Michael, we're staff. We work this pretty much the same way. And so... Today, as we're going to pray over them, we want you to join us in that prayer. So let's stand together. And we want to, we are, <clears throat> would you hand me that? Installing these guys as leaders of ordinary faith. So I'm going to anoint you. It's going to be even weirder. All right. And then uh, Steve, Michael, Alan, anybody else who wants to pray, and I'll close us. Okay? All right. I'm going to anoint you guys now. This church is... Anointing you as leadership in this body. Michael, would you start?